I invite you to pray with me. God, we thank you that we can come together and worship you, to hear a word, to gather together in community, to seek answers, to find comfort, whatever brought us here in this space today or online with us as well. We pray that you and your Holy Spirit would meet us, guide us, and somehow through all that we do transform us to be your love in the world. And may the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth be pleasing to you, O Lord, our God. Amen. So I am not a football guy regularly, okay? Did you know that? But I could not help myself but tuning in last night when I got the ESPN notification that Deion Sanders' team, Boulder, was going into the last fourth quarter with uh, Colorado State University. Anyone watch that game last night? Rivalry game. And boy, you got to go back and watch this game. Everyone is so excited about Deion Sanders, a.k.a. the Prime, which is what he goes by. And so he's been leading this team, and it's like they're saying it's changing the culture of college football, and they're, they're, they're saying all kinds of wild stuff. So when I had the opportunity just to like to watch the game, I, I wanted to take that opportunity, even though I don't watch football very often. And uh, and they were down. And like I was watching a little bit. We we're like trying to get the kids like ready to, for bedtime because it was getting kind of late. And they were down by like 10 points, and they started to get a lead. And then they had like a minute and 30 seconds left, and they got started on like the two-yard, their two-yard line. And sure enough, they made it 98 yards, 98 yards to tie the game. They did a two-point conversion. Game was tied. And the, you could just hear the college students going crazy, right? There's like the roar. And there is nothing like just being in a stadium, right? When all of a sudden you like kind of feel down. And then like everything in that room just erupts, right? And the, the whole atmosphere changes that you're changed in that moment. I know I... I talk about my, my favorite sport to watch, at least in person, is college basketball. And when you go to, and I went to Duke University for divinity school, for graduate school, and, and, and when I was in Cameron Indoor Stadium, being in that place changes you, you know? And one of the things, though, that they don't tell you about it, though, is that when you're in that place and everyone's getting excited, it's not just like people flailing their arms around and just like jumping up and down. They like have chants that they do, right? Like that you don't know if you haven't gone to one of those games before. So I can just imagine last night as the CU Boulder was like just starting to rile up, they're bringing out all of these chants that they have as a team. And they're just like just saying them over and over again because what they've done in the past to kind of unify them is what they're going to do now. And they're just like saying all that. And I, I remember the first time walking into Cameron Indoor Stadium and like looking around and like all the student section was jumping up and down, but they were like doing it to the same song and the same rhythm. And then like, you know, someone fouls and they just start like doing something. It was like learning this like culture, right? And you try to like kind of get an understanding of who these people are. Well, that is a fancy word, or fancy, or that is a practical way of living out the fancy word that we have in the church called liturgy. <laughs> liturgy is like the order of service that we have, and that order of service that we have in as the church gathers together is meant to do a very similar thing, like in a sports context, where you know you don't start as a fan when you walk into that stadium. You become the fan as you like learn all of the like hoots and hollers and everything that you're supposed to do when and where. 
And I, I remember walking into many times my grandparents' Roman Catholic church up at the lake home, and I felt just like I did when I walked into Duke for the first time and in the Cameron Indoor Stadium. I would, didn't really grow up going to church, although the, my family was, was Catholic. And so I would go into the Catholic church, and then they would do all these things throughout the service, right? I mean, like, people would, like, kneel before they get in, and they would, like, the sign are here, sign here, sign here. They, they would say different things at different times. They kneel, they stand. And, and, like, I was lost, right? Like, I had no idea what I was supposed to do or when. But somewhere along the line of me going to this church, and, you know, I would do it probably a couple times each month over the summer. So because we would be just going up to our lake home and my grandparents would take us and give us ice cream if we made it through, you know. Yeah, right. And we'd leave right after communion to sneak out the door and go get our ice cream. You grew up Catholic, you know what I'm talking about. But like I, I, the, somewhere along the line, I somehow, I eventually learned this Lord's Prayer. I don't know where it started, but it was one of the things that they did every time. Like they always prayed this prayer. And somewhere along the line, either there or like we would do it around the dinner table. I don't really remember doing it around the dinner table. I learned the Lord's Prayer so much so that I, I don't remember how and where I learned this prayer. It wasn't like I opened the Bible. I didn't read the Bible. It wasn't like I opened the Bible and just started like memorizing this, right? Somehow being part of this Christian community in just super peripheral way, I absorbed this prayer that Jesus tells us to pray. There's something about this prayer that was so important that it's the only prayer that Jesus instructs us to pray. But the thing is, is it's not just about like us saying words, right? It's not just about us like saying the right words to God. It's about making us into something more. If I, I polled everyone here and I talked about what is prayer to you, and I've done this in the past, I think here or other churches I've served, I often get one of the responses, talking to God, right? Praying is talking to God or to plead to God or to ask God for something. And Jesus seems to refer to that when he says this, don't like just be like the Gentiles and blah, 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 blah. And don't be like those Jewish priests in the areas that think that they're better than everyone else and stand on the street corner praying so that everyone sees them. He says, no, just pray this prayer and it's good. You got it. This is what you need to do. But the prayer and prayer throughout history isn't only about what we say to God. It's about how the words that we say can transform us as people and how we live it out. What I mean by that is that prayer is also about how we live out. The 6th century uh, saint, St. Benedict, was the kind of initiator of the, the true monastic life within the church. And you might have heard of the Benedictine monks. Yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe not. But Benedictine monks is an order of monks within the church that began on the 6th century. And they would have this liturgy throughout the day. So they would begin by singing psalms. They would have scriptures that they would read. They would also say prayers. But one of the things that they would do is say the Lord's Prayer. But one of the unique pieces that he kind of named, St. Benedict named um, in his rules of the monastery that he had started, was Ora et Labora, which is a 
Fancy way of saying prayer at work. Prayer at work. And he would encourage the monks within the monastery to be praying throughout their day. So as they're praying, they're also working in the garden. As they're praying, they're preparing the food in the kitchen. As they're praying, their prayers might also make their way into the labors of the monastery. That they would live out their prayer life together. And that, that's the goal of liturgy that we live out these things that we do. In fact, the Greek word that we get the word liturgy from is the actions by which this group that has gathered becomes something more than we were as simple individuals. The action by which we become something more than we were as mere individuals. And, you know, one of the things that when I became a Christian, I started, like, came into a Christian church that would have a, a, a phrase that they would like to say all the time, that our faith is not a religion. Our faith is a relationship. Have you ever heard that phrase? Anyone ever heard that said before? Our faith is a re not a religion, it's a relationship. And in this particular flavor of Christianity, they sought to strip themselves of all of the historical, like, ritualistic stuff we do. So, like, they wouldn't say the Lord's Prayer, and they tried to pride themselves on not having a liturgy, so to say, because that wasn't a relationship. That was just going through the motions, right? Like, you just do and you say the things that you're supposed to do or at the right time and in the right context. And so they would talk about how, like, we shouldn't just say things to say things but we should believe it and it should have this place in our heart. And, and, and there was a, a, a time when I thought that the rituals that we did, you know, were not like what we should be doing. But then I started studying the church and studying the intentions behind why we instilled some of these practices. And did you know that the Lord's Prayer not only is spoken by Jesus to tell us how to pray, but it also finds its place in the Didache, which is like this ancient document of the earliest Christian community that gathered, and then the ways that they worshiped together. And I'm a historical junkie, so like when I hear about some of those things, I like see it and I'm like, this is so cool that the prayer that we're praying has been prayed, not just like now, right? But this is what earliest Christian followers would do when they gather. They would say the Lord's Prayer. There are two things that we know about when Christians would gather back then, and some of the things that, you know, have stuck with us. One is the Lord's Prayer. They always did that. And then the other is some shape or form of the liturgy around the communion table like the holy, holy, holy Lord, or, you know, the gatherings, the mystery, Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ has come again. Some of that language is retained in some of the oldest Christian documents that we have. And so I remember the people that would say, it's not about a relation, it's not about religion, it's about a relationship. But then I would read this and I'd be just like, there's so much depth to this faith. And it goes down so deep but the intention has never been Jesus saying something like this. Pray this prayer because it's what you're supposed to do, right? 
or the early Christians saying, pray this prayer because this is what it means to be a Christian. Or pray this prayer because this is how you are supposed to say words to God. That's not what it is. It's pray this prayer because it's central to who we are. And so for the next six weeks, we're going to journey over why I think that there, not just me, many people, and Adam Hamilton has a book, and we're going to be reading along this, and my sermons are going to tie to each chapter. So today is a summary of chapter one. But one of the things that people say, so like the, the, it's just super important for us to understand not just the whole prayer in the context, but then each place and why we pray. So how do we begin the Lord's Prayer? Yeah? Does anyone know? Our Father. Our Father, right? So the side of me that says, it's not a religion, it's a relationship, is like, yeah, of course, that's what Jesus said, right? And you can supplant, I think, in my opinion, any parental figure in that place. Our Father, our Mother, our parents. The goal, I think, that Jesus is trying to, to connect in that moment is that we are supposed to relate to God, like we relate to our parents, or like we hoped that we might relate to our parents. And the whole beginning of all of this is that our God, and then what's it go next? Our Father, what? Art in heaven. Our God, who is in heaven. One of my favorite theologians is Karl Barth. And you might have heard me talk about it in a Bible study. If you haven't, maybe one day we'll do a Bardian theology class here at Kailua UMC. And I'll be so ecstatic. And I'll bring out his like pile of books and I'll set them on the table. But we won't read them all. We'll just kind of awe at them. But Bart wanted us to always say that God is holy other. Holy other. And the reason that Bart wanted to do that is because he had seen how people would kind of make God into who they wanted God to be, and then, you know, believe that they can live out of that. More specifically, he was writing during the rise of the Third Reich, World War II. And he saw all of his professors from divinity school that taught him, sign a letter petitioning the German people to sign up for God's cause. Join the army. I saw them put God into a box. But Bart says, God is holy other. Jesus too, I think, says that. God who art in heaven. The first phrase, that God is in relationship with us. That's the point. God is father, mother, parent, in relationship with each and every one of us. And not to be confused as us. That God is other than us. Which this is a primary point within Jesus's ministry, but this prayer specifically. And that is, God is God, and we are not. And we'll get to it later with, thy will be done, thy kingdom on earth as it is in heaven, all glory and power and honor to you, God. Because God is the holy other. God is the one beyond. And so practically, what does this mean? Well, practically, this means that we do not go around on the street corners and say, this is who God is and what God says. Instead, 
we do the next phrase in this prayer, which is, okay, let's start with me. I know you're probably, our Father, who art in heaven. What in the world does that even mean, right? Hallowed be thy name. It's like Halloween time, right? Like, hallowed be thy name. Hallow is another word for kind of like, kind of making this space of reverency. Hallowed be that name, is, and it's an initiating phrase that invites us to holy God's name. Holy is, uh, in Hebrew, was meant to mean set apart. To be set apart. So you make something holy by setting it apart from the rest. Ashley, my wife, it drives her nuts. I get, you know, like special things in life, whether it's like a, you know, little hot sauce or, you know, food or a little like fancy liqueur, whatever it is, you know, and I like, it'll sit on my shelf forever, right? And I'll just have like tiny little bits of something, right? Because it's so special, so special. I can't use it, right? I just feel so bad if I use it. And she's like, are you ever going to use that stuff? Someone's going to get you some, a replacement. It's like, no, but it's so special. It's got to be for a special occasion. And that's what God is trying to do. And this is not new to Jesus, right? When Moses talks to God and says, you know, the people want to know who you are, Moses. You know, they see all these other people and they're worshiping Baal. They know the name. They even know what this guy looks like. And they're building all their like statues. God says, I am who I am. I am who I am. And you know that the Hebrew that they ended up putting in the Bible is non-readable. <laughs> it's non-readable. Because they took this phrase, I am who I am, and then they took the words Yehovah and Adonai, and they kind of merged them together. So that anyone who tries to read the word Yahweh, which means I am who I am in Hebrew, cannot. Like you'll literally be reading the Hebrew, and then you all of a sudden, like, if you're not remembering, which I don't always remember all the words, I'm kind of like reading the letters, you know, kind of like phonics-wise, I'm going through. And I'll be like reading the Hebrew, which I don't do all the time, but I can. And then all of a sudden I'll get to this word and I'll be like, ah, who? And then I just like stop. And then I'm like, oh, wait, Yahweh, right? That they don't want you to say. And God's intention was that God's name could never be even owned, never even be known so that we don't yield it on our own. So the aura et labora, the, the prayer into practice for us, is that we're in relationship with this one whom we are reliant upon, who we cannot control. Our goal is to set that one apart and to trust that one's guidance we're going to get later, right? Lead us, not into temptation, but deliver us. We're not leading ourselves. But the primary point from today, at the beginning of it, is that the prayer that Jesus has for us is not meant to just be a spoken word to God. It's meant to be kind of one of those liturgical acts that you see at those sports stadiums that make you into something different, that make us Christians. It's a prayer that leads us to action. And today we begin by remembering that God is in relationship with us. 
our Father, our Mother, who art in heaven. That God is in heaven or beyond us. And hallowed be thy name. So let us not be the people that stand on the street corners and tell everyone what they must do to inherit God's goodness. But let's be the people that are recognizing of God and God's holiness and striving to inspire others to see that same God who's holy other and yet who also wants to be in relationship with each and every one of us. I invite you to pray with me. Loving God, you desire to be the best version of parents that we aspire to be. To love us like a father, love us like a mother. And we acknowledge that we cannot and shall not control your name but instead that we would be a people who sets it apart, remembers that you are wholly other, who relies on your word and not controls it. So as we journey throughout this prayer that you taught us so long ago, let it shape us. Let it become our prayer at work. And let us follow your guide. Because you are king and queen. You are holy other. And yet you come to be with us and to lead us. Amen.